Welcome everybody, Jonathan Troen here. Welcome to another edition of Shared Humanity. Today we have Amy Freinberg Trufosh. And well, first say hi, because there's, so, there's just so much to talk about. Hi, Amy. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for having me here. I'm I'm beyond thrilled to share my story and you know, any kind of any day I can talk with you is a good day. It's gonna be fun. Oh, thank you. There's just so so many kind of different stories, but but I think they in the end will intertwine. So what I wanna hear right now, because I'm curious and I have not heard the story before, I want to hear about your experience with your dad. Yes. So my dad was one of these people, he had me late in life. I was a late, late in life baby. He was a really funny guy, magnanimous. Um, everyone really liked him. He always saw the glasses half full, very intelligent. He was a dentist his whole life. He fought, fought in World War II by supporting General Patton. He was a medic in the medical sweep corps, he was a dentist. And um, he did the first hip to jaw transplant on the field with a friend of his who's an orthopedic surgeon. So he was creative and, you know, very jazzed up being a dentist and helping people. Um, also was raised in the Jewish religion, but had a very sort of Eastern philosophy about things um, and, and just shared a lot with me about a different, different ways of looking at life. You know, so one thing that stands out in my mind is I was, I was an old teenager and a friend of mine's grandmother died whom I knew, and I was gonna to go to the wake for the first time and I was scared to see a dead body. I didn't know what to expect. And he said to me, um, don't spend too much time on those who have passed because once the, once the essence leaves the body, all that's left is the clay that used to be animated by it. And since we're talking about that, I don't want you to spend a lot of time at my grave when that day comes. All, you, all I really want you to do is talk to me out loud. And if I can answer you, I will. At the very least, his name was Norman. He said, the Norman in you will answer you. So I want, I want to be living in your life. I don't wanna be gone. So talk to me, I'll answer. He said, talk to me and quiet your mind and I'll answer. And you know, I've done that since and it's very true. He's, he, he set me up to believe that you know we're, we're not, you know, haphazard bodies knocking around with souls. We're souls that are just presenting here in bodies, you know, and his, his philosophy about that was when we leave this body, we return to the source. He called it the source. So, so it was very, um, it was very meaningful to me when he passed and I was, I was with him and I know. Yeah. So I want to hear, I want, when did, when did he share that with you? You know, I'm always there. Just ask. And I mean, cause I know you, you were there as he passed and I want to know what, what that was like. Is that when he told you that or did that come before? It came before he, the, my anxiety about seeing someone, you know, someone's dead body for the first time, opened the door for him to talk to me about um, what, 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 what we're all made of, you know? So he said, don't, so I was worried about seeing this woman's dead body in a coffin. He said, she won't look like she did in life because her, her spirit has returned to the source. It's just the clay. The, the clay is going to be slack. It might be made up, but it's not the person anymore. So don't spend too much time mentally with that. You know, 
And that freed me in so many ways um, be, because, and when I saw, so you want me to jump ahead to when, how I can sort of tie this together for you is when he actually passed. Yeah, so, so share that, share about, because I've never been in the room, I've been outside a room when someone died, but I've never been in a room with someone when someone died. So I really am curious about what that experience is. I was, I, I was born late in life, like I told you. So um, always in the back of my mind, I knew that my parents were kind of like my, my friend's grandparents' age. Like I, I was much later in life. I had an older sister who was old enough technically to be my mom. And the closest family member to me is not a sister or brother, it's a niece. So my mom and my sister were having babies closer together, right? Um, you sometimes see families where, you know, someone is cradling their uncle. It wasn't quite that, but it wasn't quite that, that far apart, but it was close. So long story short, I was an anxious kid thinking I'm going to lose my parents before my friends do. And I'm really scared. And it, and it was kind of a lifelong fear of losing my parents, losing my parents, you know? So when my father passed away, it was with such grace that it was the end of that chapter of my life fearing death or being anxious about death. I can honestly sit here with you today and say, I'm not afraid of it because of the experience with him. And, and I would love to share with you in detail what that was like, if that's appropriate. Yes, please. Okay. Tell me. I, Cause you said, you know, died with grace. Like I don't even, it sounds beautiful and I don't know what it means. So yeah. yes, please share. Okay. So um, he, had fallen. And, you know, the saying is older people are just to fall away from death because they're so fragile that when they do fall and break something, it's usually hip or leg. They're looking at a surgical procedure. If they make it through the surgical procedure, oftentimes they're not in a good medical condition to really rehab like a younger person might and get back to their life. So he fell and we got the call that he had broken his hip and he went into the hospital and they, they gave him the option to have surgery. And he said, well, I have to try. I'm, I'm going to lay here and die of pneumonia because I can't move. So I have to try. So he, he underwent and came through the surgery, which was amazing on its own. And for the next week, I think he being a clinician his whole life and a good one sort of was like weighing the future, you know, like I'm not going to rehab the way I could have if I was 45 and I fell or I needed a hip repair at 60 or 65. I'm 91 years old, you know? And what I saw was that looking back on it, um, for example, he called everyone to individually to visit him in the hospital in a really low key way and had conversations with each of us, each of us being his kids and there's six of them and I'm number six and each grandchild because they're kind of our age too. But um, he had a conversation with each of us about what he thought our challenge was in life and how we might think about it, how we might reframe it. So as I told you at the time, I was worrying a lot. You know, I'm going to lose my parents. I was just a worrisome person. And he said to me, um, you know, if I could, if, if every worry in your head was a golden thread and I could pluck it through your skull, and take each one out for you, I would. Because the time you spend worrying, every, every moment you spend worrying is a moment you lose living. 
And that really struck me. And, and to think, you know, at that point, I was a parent. I had a 13-year-old son named Levi. And um, I thought that, you know, what we want to do as parents is always what's best for our child. So I took that advice to heart. And I realized it's true. When you do spend time worrying about either things in the past or things in the future, you're missing out on the now. Because experientially, we only have now. That's it, you know. Um, so that was huge for me. Um, and he had a similar story for my son, which I'll come back to in a few minutes, but basically he's, he's sat with every one of us and we didn't know this was going on until after he passed and we sort of compared notes and, you know, it, 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 it was beautiful. The things that he shared with each of us were really like the core of our soul. You know, he, he got it. He nailed each one of us in very loving, kind ways. The other thing he did was we never left him alone in the hospital. We, we stayed with him in shifts. And what he would do is pray in beautiful full stanzas out loud, like, dear, dear God, um, in all your infinite grace and wisdom, and I remember this because it struck me so much, in all your infinite grace and wisdom, please bless my beautiful wife, Jerry, and please bless my daughter and my son, and named each of us by name. And sort of like he reflected on what a gift each person was. And Jonathan, never once did he say, please help me, I'm scared. He just wasn't there. Nothing would, not, wouldn't have been wrong with it to ask for help. But he was in such a different place, praying for other people and thinking of other people. It was really something to behold. And then I really believe that toward the, I stayed with him his last night of life. And it was, it was a rough night. He was trying to pull his IVs out. I think by then he was like, I'm out, you know? Um, he, I believe he was piercing the veil because he was, he never lost his wits. He was aggravated and he was frustrated. And, you know, he said, it's hell to grow old because I'm still me. I'm just stuck in this damn body, you know? Um, and, and he said to me at some point, he said, move over. I'm trying to see who's behind you. And I was like, there's nobody behind me, dad. And he goes, oh, really? My grandfather's here who was a rabbi his brother who had passed the year before and his best friend, Michael, who had passed two years before that. So, you know, I don't claim to know what happens when people are dying, but I know that he was otherwise lucid. And he was saying, you know, I understand grandfather. Yes, grandfather. Um, he was having conversations with them and then he would come back to me and he'd say, you don't see him, right? And I was like, right, I don't see him. He said, whatever. So that, yeah. Um, and I didn't worry too much because he was otherwise comfortable and lucid. And I thought, I don't understand what's going on here. And I'm, my father's not nutty. He, I don't know what's going on. This is different. Um, so we got through that night and my shift was over. My sister came to relieve me and I went home. And not two hours later, I got a call. I think I showered and I put my clothes on, whatever. And my sister called me and said, come back to the hospital. Dad's going to leave. He's ready to go. And I was terrified and shocked because- did, did, he, did he say this to her or she just he knew a tense kid? He, he said, said it to her. He wow. said, I've, I, I'm, I'm ready to go, I've had enough. And he was, they got him sitting, sitting up in his hospital chair. And um, all that was on now was just an oxygen tube, that was it. All the other IVs and stuff were taken out. 
and it was it was lovely. It was a day in October, which and we live in upstate New York, which doesn't normally snow. And the name Norman means man of the north. That comes back. I'll come back to that in a minute. And um, my dad was one of these people, like I said, very magnetic. So in walks this orderly who said, oh, Norman, I came to say hi to you this morning. And he immediately saw with all of us holding him and, you know, putting a hand on him that it was, he was, something was changing. And, and he just started to sing the most beautiful hymn that he told me after just came through him from somewhere else. He said he just made up the words and the song on the spot and just started singing. And um, yeah, it's wild. The whole thing's wild. And, and we each had our hand on him and he, he, so all four, there's four sisters. My two brothers didn't make it, but my husband was there and my sister's husband was there and we all had our hands on him. And, um, he said, you're going to take care of mom. Right. And, and my sister, yes, dad promise we'll take care of mom. Okay. And you're going to, you know, he's just going down the checklist of the last, last things. Cause he loved to take care of everybody. And um, that man was singing in the background and we were holding him and um, he, he looked at us inside and he said, love. And he put his head like this and was gone. And it was the most. <laughs> Cheers, just listening to you. It, 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 it changed me drastically. You know, I, I'm going to cry too. It, it, so my, you know, as parents, we teach our kids how to live, but my dad taught me how to die, you know, it was with such grace. He, he was like a samurai, you know, he was, he was really pulled into himself. He prayed for everyone else in these beautiful stanzas. He had conversations with people that meant the world to him. He made sure people that he cared about would take, would be taken care of. And then he absolutely said love and closed his eyes and was gone. And in that minute, um, my sister said to the nurse, can you open the window? Because I want his spirit to be able to go and open the window and it started to snow. And we were like, wow, this was, it was just wild because it wouldn't normally snow in October. It'd be like 60, 65 degrees, 55, 65. But he was a man of the North. He was a man of the North. So when, when he died, he, he said love and his head relaxed. And then I did see everything just go slack. And I knew that his essence wasn't there. And I felt like, like, boom, it went, it went right to the source, like no line, did, did no you, waiting. Did you feel that energy? Like, did you feel a movement? Did the room feeling change? What was that like? The, the whole thing felt otherworldly. And in that I meant, you know, it was pro probably a flight or fight response at some point because I mean, oh my God, my parent is dying here. So my, everything was heightened. I was, I was coming off of not being asleep for a whole night, you know, but I was very awake, of course. I was there with my brothers and sisters and my husband, we all saw the same thing. Um, for me, it felt like, It felt like witnessing an absolute truth. And I know that's gonna be really an untangible thing to say, but when I saw him, 
he had a really vibrant, like huge chi is what I, how I describe it, you know, really strong life force, funny all the time. When I saw what his body was without his essence animating it, it was very plain to see that it left. And I feel that it left when the, when the window opened and very fully and very dramatically and very, um, very much with purpose, you know, he was ready to go. He didn't, he didn't cling. He didn't, he, I feel like he, you know, they say the grim reaper is knocking on your door. I feel like he was like, okay, come on, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. I'm ready for the next thing. Show me the next thing. Let's do this. Everything here is okay. I'm good. Let's do the next thing. You know? so, so how, how has that experience you witnessed the transition and, and deeply and gracefully, as you said. So how has it shifted your experience or understanding, or I don't even know the right word to ask, but that experience understanding of life and death for you, your life and eventually death, since we'll all do that. Right, right. Well, my mother died 15 months later um, of Alzheimer's. And I just want to say that her passing was completely different because she was so, she wasn't mentally together the way my dad was. So my dad's body gave way, but his mind was really strong. My mother's body was really strong and her mind had given way. Mm -hmm. So I felt like watching her death, she didn't have it. She would have, cause she was tough. She was a tough woman, but Alzheimer's took that from her and she didn't gather it in to leave. So for me, her death was birth in reverse. You know, the, the, the slow way that someone is brought into the world might take 17 or 20 hours even, was the same way cell by cell by cell, her body had to unlearn how to live. Hmm. Um, so for her, it was a mental collapse that the body followed. And she would have loved to pull it together and go in a really forceful way but her illness stopped that from having from from happening and what that further did was underline you know to me how pulled together my father's was um and how 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 purposeful his was and how full of grace his was you know because he was there mentally and his he did have full you know he he had full cooperation with 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 death in a very graceful way. So for me, what it did was it, it immediately ended my fear. I wasn't afraid of it anymore. It was, it was beautiful. I was so proud of him. And I felt so very honored to have been in the room when he transitioned that way. I mean, honored because we're each on our own path, you know, and when it's high stakes like birth or death, if we can be witness to someone's own path, and let that happen fully by their rules. Wow. It's just beautiful. It was just beautiful. So it took something that for me up to that point was absolutely terrifying. And it became sort of sacred to me, you know, and I, I, I've spoken with people who have, you know, a lot of people have never been in the room with someone when they've passed. It's a big deal. I've been in two now. Um, but what I've learned is it's, it's an honor. It's an honor. Did, 
I'm sure there was an experience uh, internally, experience, understanding, again, I don't really know the right word, of death after your father passed. Your mother's story was so, so different. Um, did, did that then change your understanding again? Or how do you make sense of these two drastic ways that people can pass? That's a great question. Um, hers was very, very different. And what I think I learned now that you asked me that question, if I think back on it, hers solidified that it's just about witnessing the person's passing because it was painful. It was painful for, for us to watch her pass. You know, um, she was gasping at points where my father stood up and said love and put his head down and that was it. It was like, wow, that's a, that's a Hollywood ending. You know, <laughs> no one dies like that. Um, death takes a long time. And, and, and we don't do a great job in this country of being honest about what death is like. You know, we see TV where somebody's like, I love you. <sighs> you know, it doesn't normally happen that way. It's a long protracted process because so many systems in the body have to shut down and, and unlearn how to live. They, un, they have to do without oxygenation. There's a whole physical thing that has to stop happening. And in being there with my mom while hers went that way, um, it, it, I think it solidified that the strength we have to have is in being present to whatever it is. Because it, it, it's, not, it's not always you know, the death of a samurai, like I feel like my dad's was, it's sometimes a really slow, it's like an ember in a fireplace at night, just slowly, 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 slowly fading. Um, and, and that's an honor too to watch that because that was her path. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really powerful what you said, just being present to what is, not wanting it to be this way, not wanting it to be that way, but the ability to be a witness to the present moment as it is with who's there and the journey they're going through. That's what well said. Yes. That's, that's, that's what the, the drastic, you know, the drastic difference in hers to his, that's, that's a great way to, 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 to put it together that, and I, and I, and I have to believe that, you know, there's probably a thousand shades of gray in between those two as well, mm. but it's so, it's so, so important to honor you know, our loved ones. And it's hard not to make it about us. Like, I don't want you to die. I don't want to face tomorrow without you. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. But at some point we have to, you know, take a deep breath. And I almost had to say to myself, I'll deal with tomorrow, tomorrow, you know, tomorrow I'm going to wake up. I'm not going to have any parents. Well, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Because if I wrapped up in that, then I wouldn't have been able to be present for her. And that's really where I wanted to be. And he did it so masterfully that we didn't have a choice. You know, it was like a front row seat, you know, sit he, down. He was present for you. He said, no, here's the presence. Exactly. And what a huge gift that was. What a huge gift, you know? So, so his final word was love. And then he went, what does love mean to you? Ah, You know, love to, love to me is that beautiful, warm feeling we have in our core. Um, 
certainly about other people, hopefully about ourselves. I think it can lead to opening and understanding. Um, and I guess on my best day, I'm using that feeling as a basis for everything I do and decide to do and choose to do, you know, coming from a place of love just always seems to work out well. And I, and I think that probably was what his whole deal was, you know, he, he was, he was more consistently coming from a place of love in his life than most people I know. And I didn't know how special he was until, you know, he was gone and I've met a lot of people and he had something different. You know, what, what is it about him that made him so evolved? I don't know. You know, I don't know, but he, he, he created a lot of love and a lot of people in himself and it was hard not to feel good around him. So you also had this huge journey yourself with your your own life in your body. Um, you know, you watch you watch both of your parents' bodies change, and well, I want so I want to hear your personal journey, you your body, and and then I want to know if they tie in together or they're just completely separate things. But sh share share your journey. Okay, so um, physically, I was always an overweight kid. Um, probably from age five, literally on, I went to, and in trying to help me, I think when I was probably about 10 years old, I was close to 200 pounds. I was always very tall. I'm like five, five, 10, five, 11. Now I'm shrinking a little, but, um, <laughs> I was always a very overweight kid and in trying to help me, my parents even sent me to fat camp. And yes, fat camp is a real thing. You know, from, I think I was 10 years old. And I got in a car. My mom said, do you know how to braid your own hair? And I said, yeah, mom, I do. And I braided both. And she said, okay. And they packed a bag for me and I went in a car and they explained that, you know, they're worried about my health and they're going to drop me off at a camp, which is going to help me lose weight. I was devastated. I felt terrible. So, so this probably sounds really strange after I tell you I have a really loving dad, but you know, you got to go back 40 years for this. And I think they didn't know what else to do, you know? Um, and I'd love to talk about how different things are now. Like, in fact, I think I will. So there was not body acceptance 40 years ago. You know, there's, there's, there's body shaming now. So my son, Levi is a very slender kid and he, and he came home from college and he walked in the door and I said, oh, wow, you're really skinny. I'm going to have to feed you and fatten you up a little. And he said, please don't body shame me. Mm -hmm. I'm happy. And I was like, whoa, it's, it's, it's so, you know, ingrained in me, but this whole idea of body shaming, that wasn't even a word. And I was a really picked on kid. So I, I, I have to believe standing in my parents' shoes at that time that they thought they were doing a healthy thing for me, get me to a place that could help me lose some weight. So my life would be healthier and happier or whatever, because, you know, 200 pound, 10 year olds had a rough time. So I went to fat camp. I lost 20 something pounds. I came back, didn't learn how to eat, gained all the weight back. And then some I'm now 11 years old, they said, well, let's try a Weight Watchers fat camp, dropped me off to a Weight Watchers fat camp. <laughs> um, and I'm laughing about it, but it was traumatic. You know, I was away from my friends for a whole summer. I felt, I felt punished. Food was something you have to partake in. I couldn't figure out how to partake in it in a way that I wouldn't be obese. 
The doctors would call me morbidly obese and I knew that the word morbid meant death. So I was really scared and I didn't know how to eat to take care of my body. I had no idea. Um, and it felt like I was being punished because I, I missed my whole summer. I'm in a camp with people I don't know. They feed you little portions of food. Then you went out and did calisthenics all day till the next meal and they give you a little bit of food. I was really hungry a lot of the time. And I, one of my, I mean, I'm gonna write a book about this someday probably, but one of my memories is we're walking on what they call a nature hike where they hike us all through the woods. And down by the base of a tree, I saw a chapstick and I wrestled somebody to get it and I ate it. I was that hungry. <laughs> so this is wild, but it's true. I was really hungry and, and I didn't learn how to eat there and I didn't learn how to eat well for the next 20 or 30 years. So I stopped weighing myself at 311 pounds. That's when I gave up the scale. I didn't give up my habits. I was like, this is too painful. I'm not even going to check in anymore. And, you know, I turned off, I, I became a little numb. The worst part, Jonathan, of that whole part was how abusive I was to myself in my own head. It was like living with an abusive person right here. You know, um, fat and ugly goes together. I was picked on by peers all the time. No dates, not that was out of the question. Um, just a, a real sadness with not being able to figure this out and not being able to do things. I wouldn't want to put on a bathing suit. I'd be worried about fitting in an airplane seat, like really awful things. And that was the mental burden of it. And, and the physical burden of it was back pain, sciatic pain. I mean, try carrying around on your spine, 300 pounds is a lot all day. I had really strong calves. But my, my back was like, oh my God, give me a break. So this went on for several years um, until my father's dying. We're gonna go back to this. And he, remember I told you that he took turns speaking with each of us. Mm -hmm. So he asked me if he could see my 13 year old son. So I brought my 13 year old son to his bedside and he sat and my, he walked in and my dad gave him a secret handshake. I don't even know how they knew, he knew how to do that, but he did it. And my son sat on the edge of the bed and he said, you know, Levi, I know you're going to be something really, really special. I'm not sure what. I might not be here to see it, but that doesn't matter, you know, because I'll know. And you're going to be something really, really special. But I want you to know something really important that's guided me my whole life. And I think it will help you too. And that's this. Make the life you want be happy. Now, that message wasn't meant for me. It was meant and delivered to my son, but I'm standing over by the curtain and my head blew off of my shoulders because I was like, it is as easy and as difficult as that. Make the life you want, be happy. In that moment, like it was a grounding rod for me. I was like, that's my why. That's my why. My why isn't you're fat and you got to lose weight. You're a loser and you can't do this. You're never going to blah, blah, blah. You're never going to go on. To... All of that sort of self-talk kept me stuck where I was. Mm. To empower me to say I can make my life the way I want and be happy was somehow exactly what I needed to hear so that I could flip that switch. Because from that moment on, I allowed myself to do exactly that. And 
through his words, I have. So um, I'm looking at you weighing 168 pounds right now. I've lost close. I mean, I stopped weighing myself at 311, but that, you know, I went on for a couple more years. So my guess is I was probably 20 pounds heavier, but I don't even care. I've, I've lost a thousand pounds. If you count the number of times a pound has come on and off my body and I'm okay with that. But, but what the turning point for me was that loving empowerment that I could make the life I want and figure out a way to be happy. Huge. And I, I, I lean on that all the time. It's such a powerful story because so many people with weight loss issues and for so many other things, you know, if you're not a, 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 an overweight person, so many other things in our lives, the, the goal, like the goal is to lose weight, but why and who cares? Um, or, you know, the goal is to, you know, get uh, a leadership role at a company, but who cares? Like whatever the, the goal masks the, the purpose underneath it. So the purpose is, okay, let me run my own life and be happy. Okay. Well, now if that's the goal, okay, I can begin to, it sounds like I can begin to start losing weight because losing weight isn't the goal. That's just a piece of the, I can take care of my own life and be happy for this, not to fit in with what everybody else thinks I'm supposed to be here in the world. Yes. And, 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 in a really beautiful way, the whole point of make the life you want is sort of, you know, I'm charged with it. I'm charged with making the life I want. But just like you said, if the goal is to be happy, it can't be about punishment. It can't be about starving. It can't be about not being able to go and eat with friends. I had to create ease around food, which was such a source of anxiety for me. Oh, I, if I were to go to a buffet line weighing 300 whatever pounds, people stared at me. What's a 300 pound woman eat? It's like a curiosity, you know, and, and, and just the whole idea that I'm going to figure out how to eat food. I love that tastes good. That nourishes me. That's good to look at that. I look forward to eating, you know, each meal because it's going to be beautiful on the plate. It's going to taste really good. I do not want to feel punished around food for a moment more of my life. I had it with that. So I had to figure out a way to be really at ease with it. And that meant for me getting really curious about how food works in the body, um, learning how to, how to create balanced meals that sort of hit the high points for macronutrients that would feed my body. Cause again, I'm like five eleven. I, I do work out now. I have to get energy in, but I didn't know any of that. I didn't know how a carb worked or that they store, you know, when they're overfilled, they, they go to fat stores. I had no idea. No idea. So, so, so tell I, us about that part, part of the journey. So you go from, okay, you have the, this new life lesson, um, you know, be happy and, and you're in control. So how did, how did then you figure out or do the work to create an ease around food? Yes. I started from a place of love. That was key. And, and, and I can't under, I can't stress that enough. Um, you know, a friend of mine said, oh, I have to go work out to work off that 
meal I ate last night. Well, you've just taken something that could be fun as a punishment for something you did that should have been fun, which is now looked back at as bad. So somehow the whole thing, which would have been a beautiful, enjoyable meal and a healthy workout, both now are bad. Mm-hmm. I'm, I have to work out to punish myself or make up for that terrible thing I did, which was an enjoyable meal for New Year's Eve. I'm like, when are we going to stop the insanity? If you're going to sit down and eat the beautiful meal, be present with it, eat it, enjoy it, love it. And then it's over. And your next moment, you make your next good choice, the best you can at that moment, you know? So, so for me, what I had to do was get really curious about how I'm going to create ease around food instead of, I knew what I didn't want to be, Jonathan. I didn't want to be anxious. I didn't want to be hungry. I didn't want to be drinking shakes, you know? So I'm like, all right. Which which is so different because most people go into it saying, I don't want to be fat. So you use different word and I don't like that word, but, but that, but that's what's used out there. So I'm, I'm, that's what people's that's what's in people's heads Uh, so i so please don't take offense anybody to that word but that's the word in people's heads so you replace that with a whole different way of thinking yes and for me that had to be also jonathan i've been to fat camp i've been on crash diets i've it none of it worked for me none of it worked it it didn't work for me because it didn't work for me because it's punishing it's punishing. You can't sustain it. You're hungry. As soon as you get off of a shake fast and you start eating food, your body's like, oh my God, I have missed this and I better hold it because I don't know when I'm going to get it again. It's, 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 you know, it all comes from a place of lack and none of that worked for me. Mine had to come from a place of love. And I also had to honor myself enough to know, okay, Amy, you like food. You like to sit with your family and enjoy good food. You hate dieting, hate it. I don't want to sit and, you know, count out 25 peas. I want to take a spoonful of peas and eat them and enjoy them. So I had to take all of the constraints that were sort of punishing. I had enough punishment around food. I was done, like done. So my curiosity became, how can I create healthy meals? How can I learn about how food works in my body? I mean, here I have a nice car and I go to the gas tank and I put premium food in the car, but I feed my body crap. Yes. That's crazy. I never thought of that. Yes. Yeah. Would you ever put crap gas in your car? No. But for some reason I was putting crap food in my body. I, I didn't know. So, so it was those little moments of awakening like that, that, that helped push me to my next thing. But, but Jonathan, I have to say that even though I had a couple times where I gained back a little bit of weight and, and, you know, then I righted the ship and figured it out again, I never, that critic in my head, that, that, that person saying you're a fat pig and you can't figure it out. I mean, this is new year's day today, right? I can't tell you how many New Year's days started for me with this is the year I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to figure it out. I'm tired of being fat. I'm fat and ugly. I can't do it. A week later, I can't do it. Forget it. 
and I would just tick up again. New Year's Eve would come and I'd cry that I didn't do it again. It was taking up so much mental real estate in my head. It's amazing I functioned as well as I did for all those years. So now so what, when I- What does your brain tell you now? My brain tells me, uh, you did a good job figuring this out, girlfriend. Yep. And, and there is a figuring about it too, Jonathan. Like for me, I had to really understand food. I had to set myself up to succeed. Here's the other thing I want to tell you. So I was talking to my son who I mentioned was slim and I was sharing with him some of these stories that he didn't know before. Like I even remember he was in kindergarten and one of the kids said, Levi's got a fat mom. And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to bring that to him. I don't want to bring that to him. I didn't figure out at that point, it was just another notch in the you suck belt. But, but you know, it was just such an awful feeling to bring shame to him. And he was fighting the kid. He was like, oh yeah, your mom's ugly or whatever. <laughs> whatever. But I, I just didn't want to bring that reality to his world. It was damaging enough to me. And I was like, oh my God, now it's spilling over to my kid. So um, I was sharing with him some, some thoughts that I had had while I was trying to diet. And he was really unaware. He said, you know, I didn't know that you, you had anxiety about going to restaurants when you were big, or you didn't want to wear a bathing suit on the beach. And I, and I said, well, Levi, I've lost like 145 pounds. So, and he was like, that's amazing, mom. Um, I said, I didn't know how to do that at the beginning. It's not like, you know, I had that, that moment with my dad and suddenly I knew everything I needed to know. Only thing I needed that I, that I knew in that moment was it's possible. And out of that possibility was born curiosity. And then I was able to, to learn and create a tribe of people around me that helped me. So I met with a nutritionist who taught me about food and how all the nutrients work and what the body actually needs. I met the most wonderful Pilates teacher. Her name is April Walker and she runs a Pilates studio near me. And she started with gentle exercise for a 300 pound body. Do you know how hard it is, Jonathan, to walk into a gym when you're that big? It's people who are doing this now are heroes because it's it's hard. So she said, "You're a hero too because you're you're sharing." Like people look at you now. I mean, I, I you know, I'm looking at the screen now. I'm like, this isn't a. There's no 300 pounds here. I I would never. If you didn't share the story, I would never ever know this about you. Right, right, and you know what's what's weird what's Interesting about it, Jonathan, is she's still here. She's still here. So I, I shared on Facebook at some point that I'd lost a lot of weight. And one of my friends went on and said, you know, I had bypass surgery and I lost 190 pounds and I'm still trying to lose the fat person inside of me. Mm. And I was just struck by that because for me, it's not about losing her. It's about loving her. Yes. We need to love those parts of ourselves that are still inside of us. And it's not easy to love a person that you, that you didn't like very much. Yeah. Yeah. Now I kind of buried the lead here, but, but you were on Dr. Oz too, sharing, yeah. sharing this whole, what was it this story you, you, you shared or, or, or what, what was that? So um, the Dr. Oz 
segment was about how I found my why, you know, how important it was for me to find out, find what might connect with the reason. So they wanted people who'd had what they call shocking weight loss stories. And I sent my story into a producer and I guess there were several hundred people who did and mine resonated with them. And I was fortunate enough to have been, you know, interviewed on the phone several times. And I was on the show two Fridays ago and it should be airing some point in the beginning of January. And um, basically the segment is talking about what my why was and how I managed to lose the weight, what I eat in a typical day and what I would share with people who might be watching who want to get started, you know? So, um, so what, what do you want, what do you, because I'm curious that too. I mean, I, I don't struggle with weight. I have other struggles, right? We all have something, um, but there are a lot of people that do struggle with weight and I'm going to guess, but, but I might be wrong. I think the struggles that people have with weight are similar to struggles that other people have. It's just yours was a weight struggle. Mine is another struggle and other people have another struggle, but those stories of um, there's something wrong with you still has a similarity. Would you agree with that? Is that true? Or am I, because I haven't experienced what you experienced, I, I, don't, I don't get it, which I, I'm totally open to. I, I, I would tend to think that the human experience, that would be true, you know? Um, and I think that we're, we're not kind to ourselves when kindness is exactly the thing we need at the moments when we're at our, what we think are our lowest. I wasn't loving 300 pound, 311 pound Amy. I hated her. I hated her. I, ber I berated it all the time in my, in my mind. And what, you know, what I needed was to wrap her up in love and just pull, 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 pull it all together. I didn't know that at the time, but to come at it from an angle of real love and understanding. I mean, the, the funny thing is with, with this whole loving ourselves thing is I would never even think the harmful things that I said to myself, I would never even think them about another person. Yet somehow it went on in my head for years. That's, that's one thing. Um, and then the, 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 the other thing is, it's very difficult when you're feeling low to find those reasons to love ourselves, especially if we're struggling with something that's causing us disappointment. And that was it for me. I was so disappointed in how I was, you know, living or not living my life. I felt like, like I was a really kind, loving person on the inside, but because of how I looked on the outside for good or for bad, for right or for wrong, people didn't get to know me. When I walk out of my house, they would, you know, you, you can't hide obesity at that level. There's, there's some things that people deal with that they can keep under wraps pretty well, but I was wearing my challenge right out in the open, you know, and, and people were pretty unkind about it. And, and I would say to people who are watching, if they have a, a child or a loved one who's expressing to them that they're having difficulty with people to really sit with them and help them work through that because it's really damaging. It really hurts. So mm -hmm. how, how can we, um, if we have someone in our life or see someone, how can we best approach that situation to be helpful in a loving, non-judgmental way. We obviously see, see a problem, but we want to approach it not in a punishment way, in a loving way. How do we, from the outside, do that and get inside of the person so we can help? I think that's so hard. It's, it's so hard. 
Um, I wasn't could, ready. I wasn't could ready. Could we have done anything for you earlier? I know you heard the father thing. Could someone have done anything for you earlier? Could we have said something? Or you, or the, there was no way, we just had to be here and you had to go through your own journey. Or is there for anything me, yes. we can do? For me, yes. Um, however, I wish Amy now could have a talk with Amy then. Hmm. You know, that, 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 that would be that would be a different story. And again, I would approach it from love and not punishment. You know, I, I, I think that would be the whole key. Like we have to know our customer. We have to know the person that we, that we want to reach out to, I guess. Certainly if they, if someone reaches out to me and this has happened since I've experienced this weight loss journey, I've had people who know me closely or, you know, just barely ask me, can you help me? And or, or they'll say something like, you look really great and I'm really struggling. That's a, that's a window, you know? It's, 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 it's a moment where you can kind of stick your finger in the air and say, is this person really asking for my help or advice? Even if it's just, you know, I think you're terrific and I know how hard this is. And if you ever have any specific questions, I'm around. You know, I've, I've done that with people and I've gone even farther and talked with people about, can you craft your why into one sentence? Cause I know you can do it. If you figure out your, your, your beacon, like make the life you want be happy became my beacon. And it was so critical for me to be able to figure out how to get from point A to point B. If someone said to me, you gotta, you know, you weigh 311 pounds, you gotta figure out how to weigh 145 and go. No idea. I had to learn moment by moment, by moment, by moment, by moment, by moment. I almost had to frame myself into letting go. You know, I'm not sure how I'm going to get there, but if I focus on making the life I want and feeling happy, I might get there. Make the life you want, be happy. It can be as simple as that. Absolutely. Oh, this is one of my longer interviews. Uh, thank you, Amy. Um, I, I have learned so much from you. Uh, I'm grateful for you, for everything that you shared. Um, and I know we will be together often and I, I'm wishing you and us together a beautiful life. Likewise, thank you so much for having me here. What a pleasure. Thank you. Everybody watching, thank you for joining us. Please like, subscribe, leave comments, ask questions. We are here for you. Please remember that you are loved.